Greetings from the team at Vendia, and welcome to the Circles of Trust podcast. It's a podcast for leaders across all industries committed to speeding up innovation at scale, making a profound positive impact on business and in the world. I'm your host, Tim Zonka, and we're about to dive into a conversation with Vendia co-founders, Shruti Rao and Tim Wagner. In this episode, we'll talk about the driving force behind founding a company entirely focused on data sharing. Welcome, Tim and Shruti. It's great to have you to the show. So you two have known each other for years across multiple companies. Um, tell us about how your journeys came together and why you decided to found a data sharing company together. Shruti, you want to start? All right. This is, this is going to be a fun one, uh, Tim. Uh, Tim and I met many, many years ago at my interview loop at AWS. You know, it was a, a business development role that I was interviewing for at Amazon Web Services for serverless business that Tim actually started, founded the thesis of, and uh, I was super excited to be interviewing there. And I was even more excited to meet Tim and then learn from him and get to know him, really. I had gone in to the interview thinking, hey, if not for anything, I just get to meet this guy who founded something so monumental, uh, that would be good. So, and uh, during the interview process, one of the questions that I had for Tim was, hey, why isn't anyone using serverless computing for blockchains? I mean, it makes sense. It's very event-driven. It's very bursty. Uh, it's pay as you go. Most of the blockchain projects in circa 2017, 2016 was, you know, uh, um, in its infancy. Uh, not, not many people had unlimited cash as they do now. Um, and then you didn't have to code away till eternity to get to a project. So it made a lot of sense, but not a whole lot of people were using that. And we really bonded over that question during the interview process and even after that. And I say, I lovingly say that that was the beginning of Vendia to use these two very powerful technologies to bring some kind of a solution that was broadly applicable and extremely useful for folks in the industry. And, you know, when we um, when Shruti and I worked together at AWS uh, building up the serverless business, we talked to lots and lots of customers. And one of the things that we heard repeatedly was this unmet need that customers had to build systems that could effectively share data with one another. Now, I'll be honest, in those days, I don't know if either of us really kind of interpreted that in the, in the kind of the modern context that we do at Vendia here, you know, as a, as a data sharing and a data, and a data consistency problem. But we heard sort of the seeds of what was eventually going to inform a lot of our customer fit and, and product analysis at Vendia. Customers who were excited to buy modern, innovative technology from AWS, but wish they could also get their data onto other clouds to use other services. Customers who needed to share their data with other parties, even if they didn't use words like blockchain or decentralized in those descriptions. And customers who really wanted to create uh, business-specific data models uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and schemas that they could use to share with their partners over the long haul. Um, and those questions would come up in lots of different ways as we talked to them. And we both, I think, both realized in the day that there was, there was just a, this large bulk of unmet need that wasn't really being well addressed by, uh, by some of the in-market products or necessarily some of the, you know, the current players in those markets. And then, you know, I'm curious, 
so the needs aren't being met, but why, like, what about now? You know, what do you see happening that, that made now the time for the two of you to say, you know, we should do this in, in this is the moment. Right. So if you, if you dial the clock back, you know, to, to circa 2018, 2019, um, I was, I was, uh, I started and started running the blockchain business at AWS and Tim was at Coinbase. Um, running engineering product, R&D, sometimes design uh, and UX for them. And we both saw this need in the market that kind of manifested uh, in different ways, but got us to the same end point there. Uh, one of the things that I saw was I personally met 1,092 unique customers. You, you heard that right, 1,092 unique customers over a two-year period from any, everywhere from energy to financial services to retail to CPG to nonprofit, didn't matter where they came from, they were all talking about this one problem that they were trying to solve using blockchains and unsuccessfully so, which was they all said, we have a lot of partners and we are making lots and lots of data with all of these new technologies that we've implemented, you know, IOTs, mobile, edges, digital transformation. Folks said data is the new oil. Guess what? We're making lots and lots of oil, except the oil, this data is getting stuck where they are made. So all of our partners have all of this data that we need to make this joint data decision-making. We only have partial data, so we're making decisions with partial data, which is not very useful. So it was a classic, my data is everywhere. I need access to this data in real time to do something with it. This real time, when we think of real time, you think of sub milliseconds. Some of these companies don't have access to this data for months. For them, real time could be the same day. That's already a huge improvement. So when we started seeing this and Tim started seeing this from a technology perspective of why this was such a hard problem to solve, it was the problem wasn't being solved because of there was no need. There was overwhelming need. It was not being solved because people were not seeing this problem. I think there was a little bit of an acceptance that whether it's an EDI or any kind of batch process was, hey, it's just working. It's fine. It's no innovation is needed there. So when we saw that no one else was solving this problem, not the big cloud providers, they didn't want to make it easy for other clouds to take their data uh, or any other companies that were out in the market, we said the time is now. There is an overwhelming need and we've got to solve this problem. Tim, anything else to add to that or around timing? Like why now is the, is the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would certainly emphasize the, the market demand, if you will, right? Um, the, the fact that you know, every company out there pretty much every day, right, is producing and consuming more data than they did the day before, you know, their, their, their applications, um, you know, their, their, their cloud enablement, all of that kind of contributing to the, just the, the volume of data getting, getting constructed and used and managed. Another thing though, that I think has kind of happened here is there's, uh, you know, Shruti mentioned innovation waves, right? And there's, there is this sort of second wave of, innovation that is now occurring. So like even once companies get into the cloud and they experience a certain level of you know, economic benefits from, from that first stage of cloud adoption, uh, you know, some of them have still brought along with them the processes, the applications, the techniques and so forth that they have been using 
you know, on-prem or in some cases manually for, uh, you know, for years before that. So it doesn't necessarily give them all the benefit being in the cloud until they take subsequent steps, like revisiting how it is that they share their data with partners, how they create mutual automated workflows. And when you think about something like, uh, like a supply chain, for example, you know, you're really talking about an application that extends beyond the four walls of an individual company, an application that pushes upstream into the suppliers who are providing the inventory and the raw parts, pushes sideways into financial and manufacturing partners, and pushes downstream into logistics and delivery partnerships. So that application, that application's data really is in many different companies, potentially in many different clouds. And that's not an application paradigm that uh, that kind of that first generation of cloud adoption was necessarily intended to tackle. But without it, companies are left with all this data in a lot of different silos and haven't necessarily solved some of those fundamental problems. And that's a situation we've continually heard kind of over and over again as one of the most pressing IT needs that business leaders and technology leaders both are facing today. You you started both of you started talking about how your your paths crossed and one of the the common things across what you were hearing was that there were unmet needs out there. Uh, you then we, you know we touched a little bit uh, around well why now is the time to address those needs, um, but I'd love to spend a moment talking about well, why you. I mean you have a bunch of investors that have flocked to you. You uh, you know in many cases like kind of unsolicited preemptive you know your last two rounds were like that. Um, a bunch of employees that uh, want to follow you uh, where you're where you're executing on this vision. So, so why you? What do you think you bring to the space that nobody else does? Well, I'll I'll start off in this one and give you give you my perspective on it. Um, look, you know, I had the not quite unique but rel- relatively unusual privilege of getting to work both in a hyperscaler cloud environment at, at AWS, um, where I got to start the serverless division and really kind of learned the ropes of building these massive multi-tenanted cloud services and, and their, their architectures. But then also in the world of blockchains, you know, at, uh, at Coinbase, you know, I got to oversee in that, in my VP of engineering role, one of the largest regulated fleets of distributed ledgers you know, on, the, on the planet. And that ringside seat helped me see both the potential of that technology, but frankly, also the limitations of that technology, that the way it's built was keeping it from a broader adoption and really was limiting the ability for enterprises to turn it into something more than just a, you know, a cryptocurrency speculation market, right? Really use it as a piece of cloud infrastructure. So, you know, we kind of have these two, these two worlds, each with them, with a bunch of strengths and some weaknesses, you know, the cloud providers really, really good at operating their own clouds, but not very interested in multi-cloud environments. Um, we always jokingly say here at Vendia, you know, you can pick your partners, you can pick your cloud, but you can't pick your partner's cloud. Um, so, you know, supporting and embracing that is kind of a business, a strong business need. And then on the other hand, this like blockchain and distributed ledger technology, which was really not mature enough and enterprise grade enough to be useful as a piece of technology infrastructure in, a, in an IT environment. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things I brought to the table was having been in both those environments, the opportunity to see the strength of both and how we could combine them in this unique way to produce a serverless blockchain that nobody else was attempting. The blockchain folks really didn't know that much about cloud infrastructure and architecture and how to build these hyper-tenanted solutions. And the folks in the clouds were very focused on kind of keeping their data isolated in their own cloud, you know, for sort of obvious business reasons, but it 
was keeping them from exploring that technological and product niche that we that we've pushed into here. So I think that was a that was a combination that you know maybe just through the stroke of luck you know I had the opportunity to see those two different worlds and then help imagine how they might come together. Shruti, what's your take? Oh, I don't think any luck was involved with what Tim did. It was he was just brilliant is all. So I I have to disagree with him there. But look, I'll I'll just say this that for me. The most important thing has always been it's got to solve a problem. It doesn't matter how awesome, cool, fun, exciting a technology is. Uh, as long as it solves a problem, that's all that matters. The technology is always means to an end. And I have seen Tim make serverless Lambda this means to an end. So for all the developers who loved writing code but did not want to do all of the work of getting ready to write code, uh, all of the busy work, all of the boring drudgery work, he made it disappear. So according to me, the best technology is the one that just disappears and then lets the end customer, end user have this amazing experience where they get to where they need to go to very simplistically. So that's always been my most interesting part of any kind of a building journey. Um, you know, this is a funny story that happened in circa 2019 of uh, Tim and I were talking about different kinds of problems that we're seeing. And he came back with a, hey, I have figured out a way to make blockchains very performant. And I said, that's awesome. Here are my other five or 10 requirements that the end customers have. If you go and solve for all of these problems, I'll come help build a business with you. And you know, this is typical Tim Wagner fashion. He comes back a couple of weeks later with a LaTeX style white paper that I had to read five times to understand. Five, fifth time, I had this epiphany. I mean, I still remember where I was sitting, what I was wearing. I was like, Holy Jesus, he solved all my problems. This is amazing. So what he had done, he had built this framework for Vendia that would essentially make the technology disappear, going to the background where the customer walked in with a very simple ask and then got themselves this multi-party, multi-cloud data sharing a base layer apparatus that they could build amazing applications on. And that would be very powerful. Only few companies have been able to do that, you know, that to, to make technology ubiquitous and disappear. You know, when you go search on Google for Thai food, you don't know how the pagination algorithm works in the back end. They've made it disappear. So uh, I think Tim's been masterful at making technology disappear. And that's the that's the my favorite part of our tech. As as much as I love our tech, he's just gotta disappear, make it so simple for the end users to use it. And and I think that's why the investors or employees kind of came to us because they know that this man right here can make it so. You know, even as the two you talk about kind of early days or even pre-Vendia days. Um, you know, both are using language around solving customer problems. And, and I think both of you are known for being people who are, you know, customer obsessed and making sure that you do, you do right by them, but also learn from them. And so 
tell us a little bit about who are your early customers and what kinds of things did you learn from them? I can start with this. My early customers were, I would say, pivotal in in how Vendia shaped up, how our experience as first-time founders shaped up, and then it has helped a lot of, most of our customers have benefited from the learnings that we've got from our initial customers. You know, two of them, uh, BMW, wonderful, wonderful experience with them. And then also the next one is, you know, Best Friends Animal Society. We'll, we'll talk about both of them. We started working with BMW early 2020. Uh, the feedback that we've gotten from the BMW team has been exceptional. Um, and 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 the learnings that we've gotten, the product influence that they have had, the influence they have had on our roadmap, on what we've built, how to make it useful, has been phenomenal. Um, BMW started using us to track uh, defects and inspections across their across their value chain. They ended up being start, starting off as, as design partners and then they ended up being our customer. And then they ended up investing in both our Series A and Series B raises. So our relationship with them has been very deep wrench, deep wrench and we have um, been very blessed to have uh, the feedback that they've given us. Um, that's, the, that's the first one there. And then the second one was with Best Friends Animal Society. They are a Utah-based uh, not-for-profit that helps um, animal shelters and animal welfare industry. The Best Friends Animal Society's um, charter is No Kill 2025. So by the year of 2025, they want to make sure that there are no uh, shelter pets, whether dogs, cats, chinchillas, bunnies, pythons, horses, whatever they are, um, are not euthanized. So they want to ha- find a home for all of them, which means that if a animal is lost or a pet is lost, they want to get that particular pet back to its original owners as soon as they possibly can, because the longer it stays out, the longer it remains in the shelter, the higher the propensity of going down the road of you know euthanasia for that particular animal. So what they are doing on top of Vendia today is making it very easy to uh, scan these pets, put them in in their in their shelter software, foster care software, or any kind of veterinarian software, and aggregate this data across a geographical uh, distance and make it very easily searchable. So best friends and all thirteen thousand of their partners through shelter management softwares are on our platform with you know hundreds of thousands of dogs and cats mostly dogs and cats and uh all of this is searchable they did a very nice press uh session with us and there's a really nice heartwarming article about how many dogs they've been able to save, dogs and cats they've been able to save and as a pet owner myself this is very very close to my heart so definitely go read that uh document and we we can link that out as well well, Shruti, thanks for walking through, you know, especially that you know, the, the the different variants of tracking where one outcome is, you know, delivering better cars faster, the other is, you know, getting lost pets to their humans. Um, from a product perspective and a product market fit perspective, Tim, I'd love your take on, you know, you, I think, you know, you were really close to them and, you know, what's working, what's not insofar as producing those outcomes. You know, what's your take on, you know, what did you learn from from customers like that? 
Yeah, I mean, one, um, you know, a few things that, that that obviously stand out here. You know, one, uh, as as I'm sure readers have already thought about, is just the fact that these are two very, very different kinds of companies, right? You know, one of them, uh, you know, classic large scale enterprise. The other one, uh, you know, a, a not for profit that collaborates with literally, you know, tens of thousands of small shops, kind of all all over the place. So one of the things that it just teaches you immediately is that this problem is ubiquitous, right? It really does extend across every sector, segment, industry, you know, type of type of company out there. Um, and, and yet the underlying problem, you know, the need to be able to share data effectively across, you know, company and organizational boundaries um, is, is everywhere, right? You know, you know, sharing information about dogs and cats might feel very different than sharing information about automobile chassis. And yet at the end, at the level of an IT solution, uh, both those both those organizations have very very similar type of problem, and we were able to offer them uh, a similar type of solution through Vendia Technology. It also taught us that um, you know we really have to be customer obsessed. You know you can't give into uh, what, what we sometimes amusingly uh, refer to as blockchain religion. Yeah, you know, because these companies aren't interested in religion. They're 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 buying infrastructure software solution, right? And that's got to have some. They're got to have the form factor. The performance, you know, the, the the ease of use, the capabilities that they're really looking to drive their their businesses. You know, that idea of like simplicity for the win. Like one of the very first lessons we learned was that we have to deliver our infrastructure in a SaaS fashion, right? Not just because I kind of came from a serverless background, although that certainly helped getting started here, but because these customers told us the last thing in the world they want to do is deploy one more server, one more package, one more third party thing, and then babysit it till the end of time. Right? They don't have the people, the time, the money, the energy for any of that. So if we can't give it to them as SaaS, they don't want to see it in the first place. And that's that's important. You know, early stage startup, right? I mean, you know, good good to know what the packaging uh, what the packaging needs of your customers are right up front. Another one that you know I can share here is um, you know, there was a there's always this funny duality to the conversations when we would talk to these customers in the early days, because almost universally. The first phrase out of their mouth would be, I need to share something, right? With my partners, my org, my whatever. Um, they would always immediately talk about, about what they need to share and how hard that was. And then the second sentence out of their mouth was almost always, but I don't want to share. And then they tell you all the things that were really important not to be shared. Their business secrets, you know, the, the, the data that goes to one partner, but not another. And you'd realize that sharing is only one side of the coin for them. The other side of that coin is all the access control, security, governance, compliance, you know, all the things that give them the safety, security, and comfort to be able to share effectively, knowing that the things that they don't want shared with, with someone uh, or with anyone potentially, right, is, is going to be just as safe as it was before. And you really have to do both of those. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, the public blockchains talk a lot about being able to share everything or putting everything on a blockchain. And that's frankly never what a company wants to do. And even when they do want to share, they need to share with control. And that's a phrase that just has come up over and over and over again for us, that share with control, because that really at the end of the day is, is what it's about. And then I'll give you one last one here. You know, what we, uh, we call, uh, you know, all the data all the time, that when companies need to share information, they need to share many different types of information. They need to share both current and older versions of it. They need to be able to share it in an ongoing fashion over time in a synchronized fashion. So if we were going to succeed, we couldn't just say we're going to deal with scalers. We couldn't just say we're going to deal with files. we got to do both. It's got to be structured and unstructured data. It's got to be today's data and yesterday's data and tomorrow's data, by the way. 
Uh, and that really was important from a product and packaging uh, perspective because we had to be able to get that right even from day one if we were going to be able to satisfy those enterprise customer needs. So that's challenging for a startup because we couldn't really <laughs> we couldn't really cut any one of those corners. Um, but when you think about it, frankly, like there's more data out there in files for businesses of all sizes and shapes than there is in actual databases today. And so if you're not going to support files as a first class citizen, you might as well not even start, you know, or, or come to the game in the first place. And so that that kind of lesson early on, which, you know, came back to us from BMW, BFAS and others, was really instrumental in driving the, the shaping of our product as we took it to market. Thank, thanks for walking through both those examples and, and what the two of you learned. What about, you know, it was apparent in those examples that the BMW, uh, Best Friends Animal Society, you know, these early customers, like they were in the thick of it. So, you know, Tim, you you say, hey, they know exactly what they want to share. And then they turn around and say, and here's exactly what we don't share. Um, but, you know, what about investors? You know, they sometimes they're close to the problem. Sometimes they're farther away. So how how did your investors understand the space? And what did they initially find compelling enough to invest in Vendia? And then I'd love after we talk about what they initially found compelling is kind of the almost, you know, then and now, you know, what do they find compelling about investing now, especially those that have continued to, to invest because they've been around for a while? Yeah, absolutely. This, uh, this, this was a very interesting one for us as well. I think what resonated or the investors that resonated with us and then the ones that ended up investing and multiple times over at this point through our seed to to series b what they have seen is this large momentum in the market irrespective of what industry it is the the movement is towards super specialization each company does one or maybe two things and they do it really really well and then they focus on that Gone are the days of, you know, Sears catalog where you could buy a house and a lubricant and baby food from the same catalog. Those days are gone. Um, one company doing end-to-end -end supply chain is gone. The super specialization is here to stay. You know, the economies of scale work, the unit economics work, the market as a whole, if it's not already moved toward that, it is moving toward that. Now, how does that affect data sharing? Which means that irrespective of whether you are a semiconductor chip company or a baby formula or you're making cars or a, a pet supply chain or you're giving loans to homeowners within, within the U.S., you have multiple partners. Each of you doing this one thing and doing that one thing extremely well, which means that you are all islands that are supposed to have uh, interstate highways, but you don't. You send a tugboat back and forth once in a while, which is, that's the way you do data sharing. You do, you send emails and then you send batch files, maybe if you're very sophisticated. What does this do? All this does is create this unending reconciliation work. Look, we were talking to a mortgage industry consortium, uh, at a mortgage industry consortium a couple of weeks ago, and one of the one of the industry leaders there said that on an average, when a mortgage is produced and a mortgage is sold, it costs them about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to reconcile a loan package. A loan package contains five thousand loans. Two hundred 
$250,000 to reconcile 5,000 loans. I mean, we, we're just reconciling because I forgot to send the right attachment. I sent the old attachment. Maybe I didn't send you the attachment. Maybe I sent it and then the data changed again. This back and forth reconciliation people cost is 250K for 5,000 loans. It's atrocious. And it adds $0 or any benefit, no benefit to your bottom line or the top line. So I think the investors at, at when we started doing our seed round back in early 2020 looked at this and went, hmm, the industry is moving towards super specialization. Everybody is doing, you know, one thing and doing one thing really well. There needs to be some kind of flow of information and the way the mechanisms that exist today were good enough for maybe five or 10 years ago when we were not making lots and lots of data. It's not going to be enough for the future. It's certainly not enough today. For future, it's going to break down very fast. And that's the opportunity that they saw. And most other companies were doing slightly better, faster, cheaper mousetrap than that already exists. So, and we were looking at it from a completely different ground up way. And that, that's what got them excited then. In, yeah, interesting. Thanks. Tim, anything to add to that? Yeah, you know, I'd say there are, there are some things that are kind of stage specific, you know, for, for, for investors, right, who are coming in at different points in time. Um, and then they're the ones that kind of have to be true, you know, the, the points that have to be true throughout. Like, uh, I think all investors are, are, are perennially and appropriately interested in, you know, in the TAM. And one of the things that we always we talk to our investors about in every stage so far is that the operational data space is 10x the size of the analytics space. So you look at the success of the Databricks, you know, or, you know, or Snowflake, and then you say there's another market out there that's, that's 10x the size of that. Uh, that's an incredibly attractive, uh, an incredibly attractive market. Um, of course, you have to also believe that that market is in some way obtainable. Right. So the other piece of this is, can you know, can you get there? And that's where the disruptive tech, you know, the innovation comes in. Right. You have to convince them and, and get them to believe that what you're doing is different than what came before in a, in a material and salient way, of course. Um, and in our case, you know, one of the things we talk about is that, you know, do you really believe that in an entrenched kind of old school company like SAP is going to define, you know, the next generation of data sharing solutions as in a cloud native fashion? Right. That is probably, you know, probably not going to happen. So, you know, so who else is going to step into that space, right? That means there's a, there's an opportunity there that has, you know, that has presented itself. So I say, those, you know, those two kind of spread across all the stages. And then, you know, at seed stage, there's, um, you know, they're very focused on who are the founders? Have they innovated before? Have they been successful elsewhere? You know, do they have an opportunity here? Um, at the, you know, the A stage, our investors were very interested in those early customer successes that we talked about. You know, what was the feedback from those customers? Are we doing the, you know, the pricing and packaging? Were we able to deliver something to production uh, that, that, that made sense? Uh, and then you get to, to the B stage. And a lot of what we talked about were things like network effects. You know, the fact that after maybe you sell to a Nexus company, the, the companies around them in their, in their business network and partnership can be acquired at this much lower customer acquisition cost. And then how have we used that technique to start scaling into our first couple of of sectors, you know, and that'll continue, right? You know, in, in our next stage, it'll be all about, you know, how do we start scaling our, you know, our sales and marketing team and, and start growing into additional sectors and, and, and so forth. So, you know, we've been very, very fortunate. We have these wonderful investors, um, you know, uh, Neotribe, uh, Canvas, and uh, Nuview who led our seed A and B rounds uh, successively. And they've all been fantastic partners, not only in helping us grow and understand the business, but really in getting the you know, the key innovation and opportunity that sits that sits behind Vendia. 
you know, I don't know what the, the mix is. If this is the two, you're just so close to your customers that you, you know, have done primary research, including with, you know, a customer like BMW that you continue to do primary research. Maybe you just have good spidey senses on top of it, but it seems like you can kind of, you know, follow the light bending around the corner to see what's coming down the path. So what do you think that companies don't understand about data sharing yet, but you think will just become common knowledge? In the future, I'll give you a product-centric version of that, and then I think you know Shruti has some has some other great kind of you know sort of uh, visionary takes on that on that question as well. From a maybe from a more product point of view, however, I'll say one of the things that we get to do here is build this new concept which combines the best of APIs, databases, and distributed ledgers. You know, and sometimes I, I call this the three-legged stool. Sometimes. And one of the interesting things about that is like that's not a category that customers think about today, right? They think of those as three disjoint, effectively unrelated technologies that they have to go buy and then figure out a way to compose together rather than something that could come to them and work together and provide that, you know, that that better outcome all, you know, all at once. And you know, if you think about this in the past, right, part of what has made, you know, prior historical innovations so successful is when you can take something that was difficult and find either a new way of doing it or bring things that were formerly disparate and put them together. You know, databases didn't used to have query languages. So you take a query language, a planner, a compiler, and it, you know, in the actual data store, you stick them together, you get a modern day SQL database. It's far more powerful than the sum of the parts. And this is very, very similar to what we're trying to do here. The combination of an API, a distributed ledger, and a, and a series of databases in different clouds is more than the sum of those parts. It's this amazing thing that can produce a single source of truth. And I don't think that's something that's common knowledge yet. I think it'll take a while for that to be common knowledge. But I think it's one of the things that we're kind of also engaged in an educational effort as we try to take you know, Vindia out to market and help customers with those, with those data sharing opportunities. You know, I'll answer this from, a, from the customer side is, Data sharing has always been this very cruddy, hard, um, not a fun thing to do. Because think about how it doesn't pick your favorite category, right? Let's just let's just take CPG, um, where you're expecting someone to send you some raw materials for this. Is my favorite chocolates you're making chocolates and you're getting raw materials cocoa and sugar and milk from from different suppliers the way you're doing it today is good old-fashioned emails and if you are very technically savvy you're doing maybe batch files once a week i mean when i say technically savvy it's very remotely remote possibility that's what you're doing now you add the complexity of you have an n-tier supply chain so you're getting you know cocoa from supplier a but in fact that cocoa they source it from three different folks from three different countries uh, across the world and they in fact get beans from you know two other two other farming or farmer companies or whatnot so now you all of a sudden have an n-tier supply chain so the data that you get from your partner is dependent on the quality 
the freshness uh, and the timeliness of the data that they get from their partners that are underneath them. Now, your partners also don't want to reveal who their partners are or what their phone number is or their addresses, though they have to go through that cleansing process. Those they want to share with you certain things, but don't want to share with you everything, you know, to what Tim was talking about. How can we share easily, but how can we make sure we don't share everything at the same time? It's a very hard manual process that is just not fun. So, and this has been going on for decades. I mean, ever since email was made and before that it was, you know, fax machines or snail mail or, you know, these, um, I grew up in India. So back in the day, you had these carbon copies where the pink slip was for the delivery person. The white slip was for the company. That was the process. That was a double entry ledger process that happened. So most of these companies think that, hey, if we change our process, it's going to be very heavy operational lift for our partners and our their second tier partners and their third tier partners and for us. So they think because data sharing has been so hard and so not fun, not enjoyable are these years, this new process will be just as not enjoyable, but incur all of these operational changes. When in fact, that's not the case. There was no technology to solve for this pain. And that's that was one of my few requirements that Tim solved for in that white paper we talked about. <laughs> so uh, we should make it very easy for even folks who may not have the best technology teams, but best IT teams to adopt this this framework and then use the use this SaaS solution without having to take on a lot of operational burden. But we we have seen that whenever there is a macroeconomic change in a particular industry, I mean, take a look at semiconductor industry right now, chip shortage everywhere. They start to understand, oh, oh God, we need to solve for this chip shortage problem. It's not just making more chips, it's also assembling more chips, getting the wafer, the dye, the chip, and the fabrication all together and putting it through an OSAT and making sure that there is a, a zero defect chip that comes out on the other side. So when there is macro changes, the urgency level increases and they see that, wow, what was I waiting for this whole time? That's what we hear from a lot of our customers. What was I waiting for? Uh, but uh, yeah. This this is a what we've built is a very low touch, low operational um, expense of time and energy um, to implement a very succinct data sharing process. What about looking forward? I'd love to hear from each of you. What are you most excited about uh, around what's next in the data sharing space? Shruti, do you want to take this one first? Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's go back to the you know the first question you asked. You know, how did you meet? Right. One of the things that I was super excited for my interview with Tim, my interview with Serverless as a whole at AWS uh, all those years ago was Lambda at that point had created this mechanism that was super simple to build application that you didn't need to think of a lot of things. Just go, you know what the application needs to do, write a Lambda function, voila, you, you start the beginnings of an application. It's pretty straightforward. It's Control plane as a service for all of the uh, nerds listening in and want to want to dive deep into that. But really, for me, it was you could be lazy and build an application, and then voila, you have it. But why should we stop at you can build an application on just one cloud in just one account using just one data source within that account? 
why can't this span accounts or regions or clouds or even partners even? Uh, and why should it just be a control plane thing? Why can't it why can't it be build a whole application, powerful application that gets uses data from wherever you have, that from your partners, from another cloud, from another region. So it's an extension of what got me super excited about Lambda is what excites me about Vendia is make application development ubiquitous, irrespective of what your data is, where your data is in. You know, we call this, you know, greenfield applications with brownfield data. Your application layer should be able to reach down to the data, wherever it is, including your partners. And they'll tell you what you can access and what you can't access through very simple schematic mechanism. And then voila, you built a really nice uh, application on top that does whatever it is that you want to do. So you spend time on doing things you love as opposed to building these infrastructure that needs to be built over and over and over again. And let me tell you, it's not a fun process. It's not fun for me. I don't certainly think it's fun for anyone else. So that's what I'm excited about. Well, I love, you know, for those of folks who are just listening and, and you know, not uh, streaming anything where the video is included, I'm sure the, it, it came across that, it, you know, I think you're on the edge of your chair as you kept going through that. So it is fun to hear that excitement. Tim, what about you? What are you uh, most excited about for what's next in the data sharing space? You know, I'm, I'm, there, there are a bunch of things that, that excite me and certainly that I feel, feel passionate about here. I mean, one, one is just at the broadest level. Um, you know, if we're going to reach this, you know, kind of automate everything, self-directed machines kind of, you know, kind of world, um, get to the second generation of cloud innovation, then we're going to have to make it easier to share data, consume data and use data, right? Like that's, that's just, that's just a given in, in, in my mind, right? We've got, like, we've got to solve that problem where we never get to some of those, some of those solutions. And, you know, as a, as a specific one, I think we should, I think I want to live in a world, I should say, I want to live in a world where everybody can pick the best of breed cloud services that they want, right? That just seems like, seems like that should be true. And yet today it's not because which cloud services you can use are generally dictated by where your data lives, right? Where the accident, if you will, of where it got produced or who last had it. And so getting to that world where we can all have the best of breed services, where we can truly get the clouds to compete, you know, at that, at that level on a service by service basis means the data has to be able to flow securely, performantly, right, you know, uh, correctly um, across all of those different parties and clouds to make that to make that true. Right. And so I'm, I'm really excited about getting to that world. I'm excited about a world in which things like credit card payments, I mean, think about the incredible complexity, like how many companies have to agree in a sub-second time frame when you swipe your credit card or tap your card, you know, at a, to go buy a coffee. Like that's incredible. But the only reason we've accomplished that is because many of those companies have spent billions of dollars over decades to get there. Now imagine that power, that capability in the hands of, you know, a three-person startup, right? You know, or, 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 or a small-sized business that maybe doesn't really have an IT staff or an IT department. That's an incredible world, right? But it's not one that we live in today. It's one that to get there, sharing data and building data-centric applications that can span your company's four walls, right, are going to have to get just dramatically, dramatically easier. And then I have this, I'll leave you with just one last thought here. You know, I have this expression I love to use where I call inverting the iceberg, right? So, we, you know, we all know iceberg, you know, like it's a little bit above the water and like most of it's below the water. 
And that's the way IT shops work today. You know, so many companies, so many of the enterprise developers within you know, large companies, they spend a tiny amount of their time and, and a small amount of their money on the true interesting business and technology innovation. And then most of the time and money and energy goes into what we always jokingly refer to as keeping the lights on, right? You know, the challenge of babysitting the servers, you know, testing the code, you know, making sure that the, you know, the, the security policies will be followed and so forth. And wouldn't it be great if we could, you know, as an industry, make the technology easier to use to the point where we really democratize and enable everyone to spend their time and their energy on the innovative business-centric outcomes rather than the kind of the boring kind of repetitive pieces of the job. And I like to call this this, this idea um, lean apps, right? The idea that the apps only have in them uh, and you only work on the parts that are truly interestingly differentiated. So those are things I'm really excited about kind of long-term. And, you know, I think we, there's a lot of work to do. Hopefully companies like Vendia and the, um, the products that we're building here will help contribute to that vision of the future. Great. Well, thanks to both of you. I appreciate uh, your time for sure and your your point of view. But um, I also love how you both kind of bring your own point of view and then jointly kind of work together, you know, in the midst, even in this conversation and um, really share a fantastic vision. So thanks to both of you for your time. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much, Tim. Thanks so much to our guests, Shruti and Tim, for all the real talk on real-time data sharing. And thank you all, too, for listening in. If you're interested in learning more about the various organizations, products, or research mentioned in any of our episodes, visit vendia.com forward slash podcast for all the links. When you're ready to keep the conversation going, download or stream all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, and the top streaming services. And if you have a point of view on the challenges, power, and potential of real-time data sharing, want to be a guest on Circles of Trust, just DM at VendiaHQ on Twitter and mention Circles of Trust. Thanks again for joining us. If you like what you hear, please take a moment, drop us a few stars, a favorable review, or share Circles of Trust with your colleagues and network. Until next time.